0: hey y'all david here with the blessing broker where we encourage you to b l e s s believe god in his promises lift up others equip others with great resources serve the poor and send others into the field ready for harvest hey today in our o y b as we like to call it the one-year bible by tyndale house we read from isaiah galatians psalms and proverbs in our reading of Isaiah 28, especially verse 11. It says, because his people were not listening to the Lord, God has to speak to his people through foreign oppressors and that they would be injured, trapped, captured. But five times in this reading alone today it says that a day, a time is coming when he will remove the cloud of gloom tears death and oppression isaiah 25 9 says that in that day the people will proclaim this is our god we trusted him and he saved us this is the lord in whom we trusted let us rejoice in the salvation he brings now earlier on in the passage it says that that as he removes that cloud god is going to crush destroy leviathan the serpent the devil folks that time hasn't happened yet the devil is still very active and alive today and oppression of christians and jews is growing do you sense it do you feel it do you know it to be true I've seen it for myself at a synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I was visiting a friend. Just days before, there was a slaughter. And as people gathered to mourn and lay flowers, we talked with friends and family members of the congregation. Our hearts broke. We cried. And we sensed that there's a growing anti-Semitism and persecution against Christians and Jews. What do we do with that? Well, today we're talking with Rob Schwartz. He wrote a book called Operation Last Exodus, and it is a thriller. It's a political expose as well as a spiritual battle played out on the pages of 544 in his wonderful novel. And by the way, he is currently working on a sequel to this excellent book. Rob Schwartz holds two master degrees, one in human resources and organizational development, and the other masters in business administration. Before landing his current position in the aerospace industry, he was self-employed as the Southern California Director of the Institute of Reading Development. He also spent seven years as a member of the Board of Examiners of the California Awards for Performance in Excellence and two years as a member of the Board of Examiners of the Malcolm Baldrige National Quality Award Program. Rob is a student of the Bible prophecy and history of Israel. His interests range from American politics, assassinations, the American Civil War, historical antisemitism, baseball, and reading. He lives in Southern California with his wife Nancy and his daughter Shayna. Operation Last Exodus is Rob's first published novel, but a sequel to this one is on the fast track now. Please welcome to the Blessing Broker podcast, our dear friend, Rob Schwartz. It's
1: uh, great to be here.
0: Well, we've had uh, some interesting conversations, but um, even before the conversations, I'd like to kind of lay a little foundation here of how we met. And I need to back up with about seven years ago, I was on the East coast and, and I was visiting a a friend that I'd met on the phone, but not yet in person. And as soon as the door was opened, a book was handed right to me and almost in my face. And she said, the Lord told me to give you this book. Now I'd never heard anybody say anything like that before. So it really piqued my interest. And the title is Operation Exodus, and the book was written by Gustav Scheller, who had uh, back in the, I believe the 50s, 60s and 70s run uh, charter ships and airplanes from Russia and Ukraine and the Eastern blocks to bring Jewish people to their homeland, Israel, in the midst of some great persecution. And that was a wonderful work of nonfiction. And um, many years later, seven years later, in fact, and and just a couple months ago, uh, my wife, Denise, and I went to a Bible conference. And Rob, you were sitting right behind us. We had the pleasure of meeting you, and you handed me a book called Operation Last Exodus. I'm about halfway through. No, I'm about three quarters of the way through this book. And we're going to have to do two parts on this podcast, because I want to talk with you again and ask you some questions when I'm done with it, because it's obviously setting up for an incredible uh, conclusion. um, But then I hear that you're already working on a sequel. So, um, so again, I want to I want to just thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. But um, first, I would I would really like to ask for you to introduce yourself to our audience with a personal testimony of um, how you began your journey, and then and tell us about this work that you've done. Five hundred and forty four pages. And more to come and it i'll tell you it's a cliffhanger i'm on the edge of my seat and it's it's an absolute page turner so um so i'm sorry uh rob but i gotta tell you i am so impressed with this book and i'm just so curious how did you personally begin this journey
1: well thank you david for the introduction i uh very kind um this started out i came to faith 42 years ago 19, in 1979 i think and it was in the middle of the gas crisis and i started just in a very short uh, uh kind of synopsis of all this i started seeing history and current events and somebody gave me a bible and i got a hold of a late great right, planet earth at some point and i started seeing this con conv, uh, convergence i think is the great convergence they can call it right of all of these forces together and i you know, when I looked at this, stepped away from it a little bit, I began to realize that all these people I knew they were coming to faith, including a Jewish roommate of mine who wasn't really all that religious, but he came to faith. And I started thinking to myself, there's more going on here than meets the eye. And so as time went on, I started getting involved in some Bible studies and I was exposed to a book. In fact, it's up on my bookshelf right now, still, a book called The Source by James Mitchner. And as I read the last chapter of the book, a scenario kind of got uh, born in the back of my head anyway. Uh, it was a, a, a the, the concept of, the, again, the book was published in 1965, but the characters, uh, a couple of Israelis, an American, uh, an Irishman, an Arab, they were all talking about the difficulties of living in Israel, dealing with the Jewish people, dealing with this whole historical event of Israel's existence and everything. And one of the, the characters started talking about another possible, you know, Holocaust in America. I mean, I, the idea of that was so foreign to me because, you know, Jews had come here to America. It was called the Golden and Medina, the promised land almost to the Jewish people. So the Jews living here for 200 plus years have known nothing but safety. There's a few incidents here and there, but for the most part, the Jews have been prosperous and successful. They've gone to school. They sent their children to school. They've had a very good life here. They have not experienced the kinds of things that the Jews experienced around the world, in particular in Europe over over the centuries. So I thought to myself, what would it look like if something like that happened on American soil? What would the American Jews do? Certainly, what would the Israelis do? What would the the Christians do? That's a big group. That's an important group because the Christians are called to action in the Bible. Mm. Whether or not they realize it or not is a whole different kettle of fish. And that's based on the teaching they're getting in their churches. I believe that the Christian the mission is stated in the 11th chapter of Romans which is to basically make the Jews jealous and to not be arrogant while they're doing it. There's a whole political thing going on within the church about that. But as I developed the ideas, the story started coming to me and the more I read history, the more I began to realize that there was a biblical case the Jews being scattered to the the nations, starting way back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Moses wrote about this. I mean, there he is out in the middle of the desert before they even crossed the Jordan into the promised land. And God was telling him, look, you're going to be unfaithful and I'm going to send you to the four corners of the world. Mm. And then as you get back into it, you begin to realize the promises to bring them back to the land was all integrated into the prophets. And of course, all of that comes to play in the New Testament as well. So I began to realize that there was a scenario scripturally for the concept of a book. Mm. And Michener became, in a sense, my seed. And then all of this grew out of that. So I consider this in my own way, little way, to be the sequel to the book, The Source.
0: Wow, that's great. and. Isaiah 49, is a verse that we've been looking at heavily this month because it just keeps coming up to us. And, and so we've started this Alia initiative um, on blessingbroker.com. And um, I'll p- paraphrase that the Lord says, I will raise a banner to the nations. So he's sending a call to Gentiles and to the world and even unbelievers to bring his people back to the place where he placed his name. Now, this has happened a couple different times in history, but never to the to the um, effect of of a nation being born in a day and and the 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 oppression that's happening all around the world. We're seeing it, and and again, I've personally witnessed some some anti Semitic persecution and killings that are grievous and um, and, and it is, uh, there, there are 63 or 64 different passages that I've found where the Lord is calling the islands or the nations or the peoples to bring back his people. And so there's this uh, oppression, and then there's this righteous Gentile help that is bringing Jewish people back to the land. But but please do continue a little bit uh, more about this first volume of Operation Last Exodus.
1: Well, you hit something, you hit a critical point there, and you you got me thinking about something. One of the things I became interested in during my research were rescue efforts that took Mm -hmm. place over time. Mm some of us are familiar with the, the book Schindler's List, and then, of course, the movie. And of course, you know, although I haven't read it, I'm probably the last believer it hasn't, but I should, is Corey Tenboom's book, right? Um, Hiding Place, and all, all of her, the work that, and the risk that that, that family um, uh, took to hide Jewish people. And so Israel has a place there called Yad Vashem, which is the place of the righteous Gentiles. It's all the, in fact, uh, we have a common friend, uh, Olivier Melnick, whose mother was protected by Gentiles during the war, and their name actually appears in uh, Yad Vashem. So it's kind of there's kind of a personal connection there. And so over time, uh, during the war, you may or may or may not be familiar with the story um, of Le chambon Sorlion, which was the um, uh, rescue effort that happened in France uh, in a small Huguenot community. Um, I think it was in the south of France. The Jews made their way. Five thousand Jews made their way over the Pyrenees. And whatever means they could get there, and the farmers and the townspeople, they literally hid the Jews for a couple of years right under the, the noses of the Nazis. And this story got me thinking about the risk that a righteous Gentile takes to hide a Jewish person and what would that look like? And so what I decided to start doing was pursuing these different, you know, heroes. Raoul Wallenberg, a Swedish diplomat, right? And there was a gentleman from japan i can't remember his name right now they were signing waivers and different kinds of documents to make these individual citizens of their individual countries so that they could pass through the nazi um the nazi uh, you know the uh, uh the, what would you call the, the barriers so they're trying to save as many jews as they could and that became the model for me for this entire idea of a rescue effort because the jewish people wherever they are i don't care if they're in europe i don't care if they're in asia i don't care if they're in central and south america australia united states doesn't make any difference every jewish person at some point is going to be a target Mm. now here's the key is what as they say what do you do with that what what's my role and as believers right we're kind of maybe going a little further into the story than we than we should right now but the idea is that every believer has an opportunity here to make a decision and that decision is going to be, what am I going to do to protect God's people? Mm. And that's a tough call. It's a really, really tough call. So as the as the story began to develop in, uh, it, and it was really deep. I mean, I didn't do any I didn't do any writing for over thirty years. I just sat on the story. It developed over time. Um, I would have reject some ideas and accept others. And then as something would come up, I had I had a file of notes I started taking about probably 10, 12 years ago. And once I started. These notes, right? I started writing a couple of things and that developed into the story. And as I did my research, I found out that there was an entire body of literature out there that talked about these rescue efforts. And I thought, okay, there is history here, and the history is not really known. So for example, I'll give you a good example of that. Did you know that before World War II, there was a vibrant messianic community in Europe? Before the war. In fact, one of the books I dissemble on, which was amazing, was my aunt was moving. She's now passed away. She was in her mid 80s at the time, I think. This book was called The Rape of Palestine. And I thought that was an interesting title.
0: Provocative.
1: Palestine. Provocative. Well, I thought this was something that was written fairly recently. Turned out when I opened up the book, it was written in 1938. Wow. Before the war. And the last chapter of the book is called Am I My Brother's Keeper? And the book talks about millions of Hebrew Christians alive at the time before the war. That has been published nowhere that I know of. The Jewish communities don't want to deal with Jews that believe in Jesus. The Christians don't know what to do with Jews that believe in Jesus because are they Jews or are they Christians? And that that whole debate has been going on for 2,000 years. When a Jewish person accepts the Lord, have they changed their religion? That's what the Jews think. But the Christians don't understand, nor do the Jews, a Jewish person that comes to faith is still a Jew. Look at all the people in the New Testament. In fact, I'm writing a resume right now. You might be interested in this, a little side project. I call this Paul's resume. And I went through the scripture in the New Testament, and I found at least five or six passages where Paul identifies himself as a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. He, he gives himself an entire Jewish resume. Mm-hmm. Why is it that the Christians over the years and the Jews that are interested in this stuff keep calling Paul a Christian? He wasn't. He was a Jew that believed in Jesus. And if you look at all of it, you put all of that together, you begin to realize that there is something very powerful about a Jewish person who remains faithful to his heritage and embraces the Messiah and all that goes with it.
0: You know, you you brought up a great point, and it's it's a bit obscure to me still, but. <clears throat> The Messianic community and the Hebrew Christians—it it really is a middle ground that's so often misunderstood. And uh, I can tell you personally, when when I started really reading in my life, it was the early nineteen nineties, um, and it was because I forced myself to start reading the Bible, and then and then things that. Were written about the Bible and supported and, and reading uh, Christian authors and commentaries and things like that, my appetite really grew. And I, as I started reading more and more and more, I started really seeing that um, God isn't um, so much focusing his prophetic word of what's in front of us around the Americas, or around um, other nations, anywhere in the world, but Israel. So there is so much about Israel. So I started reading um, more about, after biblical writings, where is Israel today? Where are we on God's timeline? What's happening? And so my appetite grew. And as I'm reading these books over time, I became much more interested in um, what God's doing now in our lifetime, where he's moving, and how can we as believers join him in his work. So this interest developed, and then the Lord opened up an incredible um, divine door without going into great detail about it. And to make a long story short, I started working for Jewish voice ministries in Phoenix, Arizona. And my, my first Christmas, I took home a Hanukkah to my parents. And I'll never forget the look on my sister's face when she walked through the door and we were, we were raised in a Baptist church. Okay. And so she walks in, her eyes go right to that Hanukkah. And she looks at me and she said, what are we Jewish now? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, she's um, I think she's come a long way in understanding that I have a passion for Israel, but it's because it's a God thing and it's where he's moving. Um, but this, this story that you've written has so many well-defined characters, your character development. in it is so fun to, to just um, soak into and to absorb. And, um, we talked earlier and you told me about one of your favorite characters in the book and, um, uh, without going into great detail, because we want people to pick up this book and read it for themselves. But, um, but Mimi, um, Mimi's last name help me with that again. It's, oh,
1: that's a great story. So years ago, uh, her last name is Sullivan and she's, uh, there's two brothers and a sister. She's, she's the third in the, in the, in the group there, but she's got almost otherworldly intelligence. She's just brilliant, but she's very troubled. And I started actually, I started writing a backstory about her troubles, uh, how she fought off a rapist and how she, you know, um, you know, was ne- never really fit into the school she was in. And she just had this whole different, you know, life. And as you, as you probably already learned about her, she loves the soil. She loves to dig and she loves to grow things. And she's, it got this passion for agriculture which you know you wonder where that would come from but Mimi has a very interesting background her her last name was selected believe it or not years ago the Jerusalem Post had a an editor one of their writers editors was a guy named Ari A. Solomon and he's a Jewish guy but the last name Solomon I found out that the family had roots in, in Ireland of all places in fact if you dig a little deeper you'll find out that for a long time, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was the mayor of Ireland, uh, of Dublin, and he was Jewish, Jewish mayor of Ireland and so uh, of Dublin. And so I pulled the name from that thinking, this is going to throw somebody off and you, you're, you must have been the guy I was thinking about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I just love seeing her, her character develop and her involvement in this incredible plot. And uh, we're going to have to do a second podcast after I finish this book. But um, I do have uh, a question for you because of the the way that you've written this book, it it certainly would appear to me as a uh, amateur, uh, you know, maybe a you know middle ground reader. Uh, what I'm sensing is that you have your finger on the pulse of God's timeline, and I'm just. Dying to hear your uh, um, your opinion. Where do you think we are on um, the spectrum of God's timeline in human history?
1: Uh, I, I spent the last forty two years thinking about that, and I don't know how many class closer to the answer today than I was then. But one thing that that I think all of us can agree on is that Israel's there um, for whatever reasons and however it happened. Now, there's there's a massive amount of Christians out there in denominational uh, associations, whatever, that don't believe there's anything special about Jews living in Israel right now. In fact, Israel is a secular nation and, you know, they have no love at all for the Jewish people in that way. It means nothing to them. To me, on the other hand, it's the fulfillment of all the prophecies that we have been reading about. I mean, I can go. I can just if you don't mind. Uh, I'm just going to throw a couple of prophecies out here, if, you, if you're
0: okay with that. Oh, um, more than okay with that. That's great. We're looking here's a couple to it.
1: of things about the the scattering, and people can go back and read this if they want to. Leviticus uh, 26, 31 through 35, and in particular 33, where it says, you, however, I will scatter among the nations and will draw out a sword after you. I mean, if that isn't the, the in, a, in one verse, if that isn't a synopsis of Jewish history, I don't know what is. Hmm. Uh, Moses continues in Deuteronomy 4. Uh, 27 through 30, Deut- uh, yeah, Deuteronomy 28, 64 through 66. Then you've got the, the um, uh, Assyrian and, Jew- and uh, Babylonian captivities that are captured both in Second Kings 17 and 2 Kings 24 and 25. Then you can go into yeah. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 25 and 29, Jeremiah 44, Jeremiah 50. I can keep going. Uh, but the return, and, and by the way, 2 Chronicles 36, 21 talks about the reason the Jews were sent to Babylon, because they failed for 490 years to keep the Sabbath here, because every seven years you would just basically shut down the economy. You would have a lockdown in a sense, right? And they would let the land rest, and the people would rest, and the trees would rest, and the animals would rest, and everybody would just stop doing what they did every seven years. But they failed to do it for 490. So as Chuck Missler likes to say, "Okay, guys, I'm going to take one of those for every 70 years." And so he plucked them out for 70 years, put them into Babylon. And they lived there for seventy years, and they came back. So that's the that's a very short uh, version of the scattering of the Jews. And you can look those uh, those verses up. I include a lot of them in the in the uh, in the book. Then you've got the promise of the return, and the return is picked up in in Jeremiah. It's picked up in Isaiah. It's picked up a lot. One of the best. Uh, um, I would say passages, if you want to call it that, is Ezekiel 36 and 37, talking about the regathering of the Jewish people in the last days, first, physically, without the spirit put into them. Later, God will breathe the spirit back into them, and they will, you know, finally realize why they're there. Right now, it's a tremendous nation with a great army, but it's not the final, it's not, we're only, we're kind of in a, in a place right now in the timeline where we're waiting for, I think, as it says, the fullness of the Gentiles to come in, right? In Romans 11, we don't know what the fullness means. We don't know if that's a specific number or if it's a maturity factor. We don't know anything about that except for what people have, like you said, David, imperfectly. so. There's scholars on all sides of this and really good ones that will tell you what they think it is. Well, I've learned one thing. Not everybody is right and not everybody is wrong. So somewhere in the middle is the truth, but we're waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles to come in. And when that happens, God's gonna raise the gate, flag goes up, bells go off. And then it's going to be Katie bar the door. And I'm, I'm wondering how close we are getting to that after all the stuff going on in the last what 18, 19 months. You
0: can see 18 or 19 there. months. If we just look around at what's happened in the past two years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, boy, are we living in a different world. And I've heard so many people say in different ways that everything's just absolutely falling apart. And you've probably heard it said um, that when the world looks and sees, um, that things are falling apart, the reality is they're actually falling into place according to God's promise. Yeah. His written words. And I can't think of a more exciting time to live than on God's timeline right now, because today we have an opportunity to be a blessing to others. And so, um, we don't need to worry about tomorrow because we know that if he fulfilled all these promises in Yeshua and in, in the diaspora and, and, and in the oppression that's happening today, we know that he's going to be faithful to bring on this incredible conclusion and, and then beginning of an eternal reign in his kingdom. And um, boy, if I could just be a fly on that wall, in, well, in the, in the we, banquet feast. Yeah, we, if we, I could get a breadcrumb from that table, I, I'm in a much better place than I am sitting right here today, just looking how we can be a blessing to others. So um, we look forward to that day, but his promise is absolutely secure and sure. Uh, and we can base that on all of the things that have already been promised and fulfilled, he never changes, and right. he is faithful to complete the work that he began. And uh, as as I continue to read and to meet individuals like you and uh, ask, uh, where are we on God's timelining? In your opinion, I, I get so many different um, thoughts and theories, but but the the one that rings true is that we're right where god intends us to be so what are you going to do with Yeah, the
1: old story is right we're right on time uh god is seldom early but he's always on time i'm sure you've probably heard that before and i keep thinking that's exactly where we are you know part of this is you know again historically we knew i mean based on everything that was written in the old testament again people just have to pick up the bible and start reading Mm -hmm. and get a little good teaching and they'll find out that uh god is faithful to his promises and here's one of the things that's really kind of a scary thing. Those that believe that, that the church has replaced Israel, we haven't even talked about the whole supersessionist uh, replacement theology that's going on right now and has been actually for a while, that if God can take the promises of the Jewish people away, if that means that God can change his mind, and if God can change his mind, that means that every Christian on the planet that d- identifies as such and is really you know, focused and has accepted the Lord and is, is born again, as we call it, right? That means that the promises could be taken away from them as well. Mm. And and who says that God won't do that? But if you read the scripture, you know that His word is firm, it is it is eternal, and He's chosen a people for His purpose. And we know, based on I'm reading the middle, just finishing up my my uh, next reading of Revelation right now. When the 144,000 are chosen, they're out there, they are marked and they're sealed and they have a mission, and they're doing what they have to do. The Jewish nation is god's that's the that's the apple of his eye and so when we talk about where are we on the, on the prophetic timeline i think we're getting close to the end because if you look at the, the events in matthew 24 and luke 21 and you look at all the different uh uh you know there's there's hints here and there you know certainly revelation and you can look back in daniel and all the other prophets a lot has already been accomplished um you know, the, again, the Jews have been scattered. They're returning. They're not all back yet. Um, Israel's uh, Israel's establishment in 1948, as we would call it now, that's, I can't remember where it is in the Jewish timeline, but these were things that people knew were going to happen at some point. But you know, that that whole thing about at some point or in the future, oh, it's, it's going to happen one day. The scholars woke up in May. The Christians went, wait a minute. There's a nation called Israel now and it's in the land, it's not in Nairobi, it's right. not Central and South America, it's not the Dominican Republic, because they could have gone a different, they had opportunities. If you listen to Theodore Herzl and his work, the guy that wrote Der Judenstadt back in 1896, I think it was, they actually proposed other places for the Jews that you said, no, this is our land. This mm-hmm. is our historic right to the land. You know, and you can look at all the different things, reestablish sort of the Hebrew language, right? Uh, Israel has become one of the most powerful nations on earth when it comes to commerce. So it's 7 million Jews and a million and a half Arabs. I mean, it's crazy. So where are we? We're towards the end, but there's still a lot to come. You know, now what I I have to stay, I have to say this because I want to stay away from, like you said, date setting and things like that. Do you remember the book that came out? And I never read it, but I just saw the title. 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. Yeah, That book came out and everybody was excited about it. well everybody started calculating well you know in 1948 a generation is 40 years and so they start. well we don't you know you had generations of 500 years back in the old testament you know if you go back long enough you had generations of 120 years moses was 120 years he was a generation so it depends on how you want to parse that out i get less excited about that as i do with the things that i do know about that i don't have to worry about speculating on. yes i do know that israel's going to have enemies i know at some point in time That the invasion scenario of Ezekiel 38 and 39 is going to happen. By the way, that little piece is interesting. I was at that conference we were at. Remember, Don Stewart was speaking. Mm -hmm. Don Stewart made the statement when that book came out in 1970, the political alignment at the time, Iran was a friend of Israel. Turkey was a friend of Israel. They were all doing commerce together. The Jews and the the Turks and the Iranians, they, they were all kind of in it. They were working together on stuff. They had political alignments, they had, you know, religious, whatever they were, they were fine. Only in the last 50 years, since Lindsay published that book, has the political arrangement turned upside down. All the nations identified that we know of based on the ancient maps in Ezekiel 38 and 39 are now aligned for an invasion.
0: That That's really happen. a key passage. Would you repeat that again, Ezekiel 38 and 39?
1: And you've got to read both of them. A lot of people talk about Ezekiel 38, but you've got to read 39 because 39 gives some detail that wasn't in 38. One of the details, I think, in 39 talks about that Israel captures the remainder of the weapons and burns them for seven years. Now, I don't know if they need fuel for some reason or whatever. That isn't really clear. Well, some people say it's clear, but, but whatever it is, it gives you a seven-year period that a lot of people believe is going to precede the uh this seven year period of time some people call it the tribulation others call it uh the 70th week of daniel which i think is a really good term as well but you've got this kind of you've got little um um clues if you want to call it that along the path so we don't know when that's going to happen yet we don't know when the ezekiel 38 39 war is going to happen but we do know these things are going to happen at some point you know I am not a preterist. I don't believe all this happened in the first century, like I think the Catholic Church has put out over the years. Even Hank Hanegra, for example, has made comments that, you know, all this is already old history, and there's really nothing special about the Jews and anything else. Never
0: before in history have you had the alignment of these geopolitical powers of Russia, Turkey, Iran, Persia, um, Putin, and, um, and so... All of the players are the key, and we're seeing their alliances now, as you mentioned, was not in the 70s or any other time in history. There's not been the alliance that there, there is today, and it's the convergence of, of things like those prophecies in the Old Testament, as well as what Yeshua had taught in in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and, and elsewhere, that we're seeing this convergence of, of, um, precision really, uh, and, and could, could it disband and then cycle around again in a thousand years? Look, God can do anything he wants. We can't put them in a box, but when we see this convergence, like never before in history, it's time to tune our antenna and ask, Lord, uh, what do you want me to do today to be a blessing so that we're found about your business, when tomorrow comes, whatever that holds. Um, So Rob, one more time, I want to ask you, you, uh, in light of this book that you've written and where we are on God's timeline, where do we go from here? What is the best way to um, make a shift today to join God in his work?
1: Great question, David. Um, I would encourage every believer to first of all become engaged in something doing with Israel, whether it's you know going to a messianic congregation, which is always a good start. And I'm not saying that they're all, you know, they're they're all different, <clears throat> but also begin to research, begin to, to find and, and do the, the the hard work it takes to find Yeshua, Jesus, in both the old and new testaments. So get familiar with that. Learn. Uh, Also, um, there are a lot of books out there on basic Jewish history. You can read, I've got two on my bookshelf right now, plus a bunch of other ones that are, you know, uh, you can get any book, book, any book on Jewish history, just get an overview to understand the Jewish people. Because when they, there's going to come a time where they may be the ones that somebody's going to come to and say, I've got a Jewish family here, they're on the run, they need help. What are you going to do to help them if another Holocaust... I should say, when another Holocaust scenario comes up, because, you know, we don't know. It struck fast in in Europe uh, before World War II. And I don't know that I would agree or disagree that it's happening here again. But I would say knowing the history that it's happened everywhere the Jews have been. So, number one, learn some Jewish history. Number two, acquaint yourself with the Messianic community. You could do it online. You could do it in person, whatever it might be. And third, learn... You know, really dig into your roots, find out who you are as a believer, because you never know what you're going
0: to have to be called on. Amen. And with that, Rob, would you pray with me, please? I would love it. I would love it. Well, Father God Almighty, we thank you so much for this time with Rob, and we thank you for the the burden and the story and the talent that you've put uh, into him as an investment. We thank you for this story of Operation Last Exodus. And um, Father, we pray that you will show us individually where you want us to take that next step, how you want us to understand where we are in your plans instead of us asking where are you in our situation. So Lord, help us to turn the tables to join you in your work with what you're doing um, so that you will receive all of the honor from that and that you you'll be lifted up and there will be a smile on your face from us um, bending our knee to be um, serving according to your good pleasure and lord now i ask for a blessing over rob lord would you bless him and keep him would you make your face shine upon him and be gracious would you lift your countenance upon him and continue to give him your peace your shalom In Yeshua's mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.
1: Hey, Denise here. We are so appreciative that you spent time with us today. Proverbs 11.25 says, A soul who blesses will prosper, and one who gives water will themselves be satisfied. So we've built a lot of resources on BlessingBroker.com to help you be the blessing. We also invite you to engage with us on our social media through Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And now we're on all of your popular podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple. We look forward to reporting again soon, but until then, go out and be the blessing today.